Hi, welcome to Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. This podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Atlanta, where our pastors and members dig deeper into the sermon and its text together. Our goal is to consider new questions and observations while looking at the passage so that we might more practically apply God's word to our life. If you have a question for our pastors, please feel free to engage our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. Or if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our sermon talk back. Well, uh, we are going to do something special today. It is a sermon talk back, um, and uh, we are joined by a really good friend of mine who has been a great friend to our church, who's come and spoken at our church, who I want to have come back to our church, but we just can't get our <laughs> calendars in sync. But um, he is... Uh, uh, the editor-in-chief uh, of the Gospel Coalition, which is uh, a, uh, an incredible publication that's been so helpful for our church. And uh, he's a great churchman, uh, and uh, he's a great husband, he's a great father. Most of all, he's he's a, a child of God, and uh, he's going to help Amen. us think about some of these things as we finish up our Man is Dead series. So welcome, Colin Hansen. Uh, thanks for joining us, buddy. Oh, I'm glad to be here, Jason. It's exciting. You and I have a lot in common, uh, other than uh, our particular college football loyalties, than, but we, we won't we won't talk about those things today. I thought Auburn was a basketball school, Colin, but apparently, uh, uh, we're only one our whole state. We're only one round better than the Tide. Um, <laughs> but um, so we we've been in a series over here, Colin, and uh, you know, sent you the sermons. You actually just recently um, delivered a lecture, kind of similarly. Um, that we've been calling man is dead. And the idea is if you have a secular world where there's no received ethos, where there's no received telos, where there's no received morality, where there's no received meaning and purpose, then you're forced to go out and figure that out for yourself. And that at first seems incredible, right? What an offer. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, go and make your own you. Um, but what we've kind of discovered, I think, as we consider this moment that we're in, is is actually really terrifying and confusing um, that we were never meant to go uh, and create our own uh, telos, and people are very divided, and there's little agreement, um, and people feel very lost, and we find ourselves asking the question, really, what does it mean to be human? Mm-hmm. All of our forms have been kind of thrown out. And so that's this idea, man is dead. This form of man or humanity that has been somewhat accepted in all cultures for all time, uh, not that those forms of human life have always been exactly the same, but but sure. but the basic form of the human life is now really up for question. And uh, we find ourselves in a very interesting age. And uh, one of the things that, one of the authors that I know you have been helped by you mm-hmm. have helped me understand him better yeah. um as well as like james smith uh mm-hmm. and others uh is um charles taylor who writes a lot about this um mm-hmm. and who really was helping to explain this before i think some of these things were even on my radar yeah. um and so uh so anyway yeah any opening comments just about that idea structure of humanity and what that yeah. means in a secular age well, just that question, Jason, of what is a human 
what is man? Or as we're seeing a lot of debate about these days, especially what is a woman? Uh, You see that whether it's Supreme Court nominations to all sorts of just the NCAA, what is a woman? And if you had asked that question, even just a generation ago, two generations ago, somebody might have looked at you cross-eyed, maybe punched you in the face or something like, why why are you you asking such dumb questions? So it's a mark of our age that we even think we should be asking those questions. And that speaks to the underlying uh, issues that Charles Taylor talks about in the development of secularism over the last 500 years. And I heard Marilyn Robinson, the the novelist, write about, an essayist, write about this as well. But what you've seen shift, Jason, is this notion of the the givenness of things, that we were born into a certain order. We were born into obligations and responsibilities. That has shifted dramatically. Now, we know that we could go not too far outside of Atlanta, not too far outside of Birmingham, and find some places that a lot of people still feel that way in certain ways, but not mostly where I work and where you work and where the people listening to this are living and working as well. There's a sense that freedom is our highest goal and, and inherent to freedom is the idea that we can make of ourselves whatever we want without any restrictions. And that's really the shift that Charles Taylor uh, describes in, in his, in his work. And, and, you know, th- this concept, and obviously we're not going to review Charles Taylor's work here, but like the, the concept of the secular three, I-, I think was really helpful for me. The way I've been talking yeah. about it in this sermon series is it's not that we're confessionally secular, right? Correct. Most people still believe in God. Now, it may be sort of a Christian Smith therapeutic God. Sure. Um, you know, I've often said like everybody believes in God at funerals, right? You yeah. know, you know, you you want to have some sort of therapy uh, in your confession at least. But our instincts, and I've been using that word instinctively, yeah. we mm-hmm. don't act as if we fear God or we act within the imminent frame. To use Taylor's idea, we don't act with imminence or with with God presence in mind. And, and you know, yeah. that's been a huge shift. I mean, even. And obviously, I would say that you and I were probably born into that world, at least as an instinct. But yeah. our grandparents really weren't. Um, Correct. Yeah. And uh, I, I actually have just been reading *East of Eden*, yeah, and um, and just the there. It, it is not an imminent frame in *East of no. Eden*. Mm-hmm. They are operating in a uh, in a transcendent frame, and so. Um, yeah. I, that that shift really, I mean, how would you describe that instinctive shift? Um, I think it's helpful. It? I think it's helpful there, Jason, to talk about the different forms of secularism. And so you have one form of secularism, and you you set me up for this very well. The one is what you'd have politically with the United States. The United States introduced secularism as a governing principle. People did not think that was possible. You needed some sort of referent to the divine right of kings or theocracy or things like that. But when you look at the Constitution, coming in a very religious age, um, the fact that there is no reference to God in the Constitution is a form of secularism. Now, the French version that would come with the revolution, laicite, that's far more extreme. 
than the United States. Mm-hmm. United States basically says we're secular, but that but you can do whatever you want and be religious. France more means no, you need to conform to not you know to no religion at least in the public square. Then there's another form of secularism that would be jump forward to communism. That would be no 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 you're you're banned. You cannot worship. We're going to kill priests. We're going to destroy churches. Things like that. And there's a third form, and that's where Charles Taylor's insights are especially helpful to you and to me and I think to everybody else listening. You can be a Christian and still be secular. Right. Meaning, and, and a best example of this, Jason, would be the pandemic. Where were the, where were the calls to prayer? Where were the calls to repentance? Where was the leadership to say, God must be trying to get our attention. We must return to him. There was almost nothing. And in fact, what you'll see, especially certainly from public figures and even from a lot of church figures, and then you'll see, okay, well, there were a lot of predictions. There were a lot of prophets who were saying this, that, or the other. Even that can be secular because ultimately right. it wasn't about the fear of God. It was about it was conforming to- forces. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it was just, or just, you know, I'm going to blow in the air and then all of a sudden COVID's going to disappear. We see that as a transparent, essentially money-making scheme, which it is, but that's, that's secularism. There's not, like you said, there is not that fear of God as a palpable sense. He is more or less an option that you can take or leave. And as Jamie Smith and others uh, describe uh, via Charles Taylor's work, we all believe now through doubting. We're all Thomas. Mm-hmm. Right. Now. Yeah. And that's that's that form of secularism that you're describing there. So the Christian faith, though, in this secular age, so how do we live as Christians? And throughout the sermon series, we, we've been meditating on the Imago Dei, this idea mm-hmm. that we are image bearers, that we have been, and I've kind of been, I've given four, and these are not obviously original to me, but we're, we're sacred beings, we're relational beings, we can know God. Um mm-hmm we have some sense of function that what it means to be made in the image of God. And we've been thinking about the idea of multiplying and having dominion or what what we've said is creating and ordering. And Mm -hmm. then the last one is just, we're, uh, we're representatives. We, we Mm -hmm. represent God and his glory. Um, and so that gives us this sense of, you know, uh, a dynamic and also universally reflecting on your paper. Um, that that sense of identity can work anywhere. Uh, it's yeah. it's ubiquitous to any kind of worldview, any culture, um, any context. Um, so, yeah, identity as image bearers in the image of God. Um, how does that? How how do, how do you interact with that in a secular age? How 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 is that helpful? Yeah. How is that challenging to work out in a secular age? Um, yeah. you know, how would you what would you say to that? Well, you, you've been saying it here, Jason, which is the telos component. What are we for? And Christians have had an answer um, for that question. We're to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the answer that, that Christians give because we've been made. We, we belong. We belong to God. We're accountable to God. Without that notion of, of um, well, the, the phrase that, that one philosopher that, or the imagery that a philosopher has said is, it's like having a watch. Um, the whole question about a watch is what is it for? What is it for? Mm-hmm. Because if you use a watch as a hammer, 
is not going to work. It's no good. But if a watch is to tell time, I mean, you have to be you have to be told, oh, okay, that's what it's that's what it's for. Well, the way I describe it is, we have a culture that's doesn't know how to tell time. We don't know what we're supposed to be for, except to multiply choice, to multiply opportunity, to multiply freedom, to expand the boundaries of of possibility so long as it does not infringe upon somebody else's, you know, permission essentially. And, um, that, I guess it works, especially for a culture that with consumerism is especially geared toward young people, because those are delusions that you can maintain only if you're young, only if you're mobile, only if you're, well, I'll put it this way. It doesn't make much sense in Ukraine right, right now. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It is not livable outside of certain conditions, certain expectations. And so Christianity gives us a way of saying whether you're in Buckhead or whether you're in Ukraine, it gives you a sense of purpose that you live for God and you live for others. Why? Because other people are made in the image of God. And because being having been made in the image of God, you're accountable to your maker. And that from dust we've come by God having breathed life into that dust and to dust we all shall return. And so it gives you a sense of your place of, I belong to these other people. I belong to this place and I belong to God. And therefore I live for eternity. Right. Okay. That's, that's, that, that's, that's the Christian framework. Again, it works in Ukraine. It can also work in Buckhead. But what is predominant in certain parts of Atlanta and Birmingham and, every, and everywhere else around the West uh, today, this notion of, of I, I, achieve through, I achieve peace and freedom through maximizing choice, and I am my own, I am the autonomous self, yeah, that, that really only works with a certain bank account. Maybe well, it's not your and, bank and account, but somebody else's bank account for you. Right. One of the things that I've been saying in the, in the sermon series, too, is, okay, so if you, if you have... If intrinsically we are made, I mean, obviously we believe you don't have to recognize that you're made in the image of God to be made in the image right. of God. Like God has made we us treat it this as way. Such. Yeah. Right. Um, or even just you're going to have these instincts in a sense. So if, if it's sacred, relational, um, functional, and, and right. particularly there, multiply and dominion, and then representative, if you remove God from the equation, okay. A lot of that that those impulses still kind of remain, and so where do people go for identity? Relational, okay. It's maybe not relationship with God, but it's relationships yeah. in some sense. If, yeah. if you look at functional as sex and work, right? Yeah. Okay, there's huge. And then if you look at mm -hmm. representative, I mean, representative is an interesting idea too. And people really want to represent whatever they're representing faithfully. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we were talking to earlier about just like the impulse of justice in some groups. Like if yeah. I want to represent that I'm for this or for that, and I don't want to have any inconsistencies. I mean, even politically, I think that's a fascinating place to look at. There, there's not, um, there's no nuance to political thought these days. You're either kind of all in with this or all in with that um, in order to be faithful in your representation. So um, yeah. I, I just think that is a, is a fascinating um, if you've removed God from the equation, a lot of those impulses still remain. Um, 
It just, but they're where you're looking for identity and, and those things ultimately never can satisfy. Well, they, they shift toward being tribal markers. And so yeah. one of the things that Christianity introduced was a, a stronger conception of the individual because of that being made in the image of God. So you treat people with inherent dignity, even if they don't belong to your tribe. That belief ended up creating essentially what we know as the West, creating all of the benefits of education and human rights and all sorts of things of the West. And so we want to retain those elements, but without Christianity, we revert back to our original state, which is that we survive in this world by produced by by gathering together with clans and with tribes to define who's in and who's out. And so instead of debating each other on the level of ideas as individuals, we simply we we just size up. Are you on this side or are you on that side? And ironically, Jason, I think one of the main reasons we do this is because of simple information deluge and overload since 2000, especially that era with the internet, you know, fast forward to 2007, 2008 with the, with the iPhone, we just can't keep up essentially with everything. We can't, we don't know what to trust. So more or less the way we get through the world is by saying, Oh, I'm one of the good people. Why? Because I'm aligned with these other people who are good, but mainly not because of what we believe or what we do even, but simply because we're not one of those other people over there. And you'll notice on certain, you mentioned consistency. I'm not sure, Jason, there is really much consistency in how people hold their views on things. I mean, you'll see a new issue come up, like, for example, the the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And you'll see people kind of squint at it thinking, wait, what am I supposed to think on it? My tribe hasn't told me what to think yet about this. So they're looking for somebody to give them the signals of, wait, Am I who who who's bad? Who's good? I can't quite figure this out right now. Right. So you can tell we we outsource that thinking to those people that we align with as aspirational. These are the goodies because at least I know that I'm not one of the baddies. And there. that's and I think that's what I meant by consistency. It's yeah. it's yeah. I, I consistently want to be aligned with the same whatever. People. Yeah, yeah, whatever this person's telling me to believe. Correct. And so if they say that's this right. is right, even though. There's a little part of me that's like, well, I like what they say about this and this, but I don't know if I like what I say about this. We can't nuance that at all, and yeah. uh, and that has led to cancel culture. And uh, yeah. I mean, even and and that and to your point earlier about you can be a secular Christian, like how yeah. much of that has infiltrated uh, the church? Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, even it's even everywhere. like with even like with guest preachers, right? If I have like a guest preacher who like has said like one thing that maybe I don't even agree with, you know, uh, and so, you know, I'm sure you would be on the chopping block. People will come oh, up to absolutely. me and say, well, you really, do you really want to have Colin Hansen come in or anybody who's know, ever said anything? Makes yeah. You do vulnerable. you know what he's said about this? What yeah. a scoundrel, you know, or not even what I've said, whatever. Just ha- have you seen the people he associates with? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, he works for Tim Keller. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I heard Tim Keller is a registered Democrat. Therefore, you know, it, it, those tribal instincts are everywhere, certainly in the church. And that's why I'm so appreciative of what you guys are doing, of trying to get back to those biblical basics, because those basics are actually revolutionary. Um, they're, the, they're not only eternal, they're not only true, but they're also livable here. And 
I, I just don't see how the current alignments, I'm thinking about people in your church who are on college campuses today, um, even just in, you know, environments that have a lot of expectations of, oh, to be a good person in this neighborhood, you have to think all these sorts of things. Surely there must be a recognition that this is not progress, that this is ultimately stultifying, that people are, they're, they're, they're scared. They're scared to think. Mm-hmm for themselves yeah. because that's not a value thinking for yourself is not considered a high priority that is a dramatic change in a couple of generations i mean just think of steve jobs and the advert you know the the 1984 yeah. and that right. that would not work today i mean i even you know just think about the the other another 1980s just do it that doesn't work today because right. like, no, 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 that would be too hard. You need to engage in self-care. But the, the, um, the, the irony, though, is that so much of this is being done in the name of like thinking different or breaking the norm. We, we still feel we, we still are in that narrative, I think. Like we, we still sure. at least think we're in that narrative of, oh, we're breaking the norm. I, in your in the lecture you yeah. just gave the the analogy of the the man in 800 uh, AD that had to suppress yeah, his uh, right. desire to yeah that Anglo-Saxon was really warrior. Why, why don't yeah why don't you give yeah. the analogy of the Anglo-Saxon warrior well, let to, me, to help illustrate what we're talking about yeah let me give two just a, a brief overview here of Charles Taylor's view of the coming of age narrative so you, what you're describing there Jason is. What Charles Taylor said is we live in a Western coming of age narrative, which is that all we need to do is break free of these shackles. And once we can, once we can get past that, we will finally enter into an age of pure pleasure and enlightenment. And the shackles are Christianity in there. So you see this, especially in sexuality. You see this especially with um, with homosexuality, and then of course also transgender uh, questions as well. But the the analogy that about identity and how it's formed in this era uh, comes from Tim Keller. He came up with it on the spot. He was doing an Oxford mission, and somebody was asking me these asking him these underlying questions about identity um, or about homosexuality is what it was. And he said, "Well, I can't talk about sexuality unless I talk about identity," and we all think that we are going our own way as if no one else is influencing our right. views. At least that's the conceit that we tell ourselves because you still have to live of that coming of age narrative. You can't just say, oh, I do that because I follow this Instagram influencer. You have to can, you know, deceive yourself into thinking that you chose to do that based on which influencers you followed or something like that. But the Anglo-Saxon warrior narrative is very helpful because it describes how we actually form our world, not based on our internal views, but on our external communities that we want to be a part of. And so Keller uses this to say very, very quickly that you go back to 800 AD, an Anglo-Saxon warrior would have two impulses. One impulse would be that he wants to, um, that he's sexually attracted to men. And the other is that he wants to kill people. Okay. The one, the culture would say killing people is great. We can make That's use what you're of that. Supposed to do. That's what you're right. supposed to do. That's your true identity is somebody who is made to kill other people. All right. But oh no, 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 no. Sexually attracted to men. No, no, no. You gotta suppress. You must suppress that identity. You cannot live that. Okay. You fast forward, coming to 2022. 
same two impulses. I want to kill people. I'm sexually attracted to men. Same, the complete opposite approach. You must suppress violence. Violence is not acceptable. But yes, you should live into that identity. The simple illustration is to say it's a conceit that we are individuals. We are still formed very much aspirationally by the kind of person we want to be, namely the kind of community that we want to accept. What is acceptable, right, yeah. What's acceptable. And so that, it does not matter. You can be a Christian and have a strong... You will find that if you're if you're in your 20s, you've moved to Atlanta, you're setting off on your career, you're going to find some tension that's going to come for many people who grew up in Christian homes, especially. They're going to be thinking, I, I want to be a part of my family, yet I want to be able to be popular or I want to fit in with this crowd from my work or from my neighborhood or from my you know alumni group or something like that. And those tensions will, you know, will be there, but, it, but you'll be thinking what you'll tell yourself is I'm truly becoming an individual by thinking for myself now and rejecting all of those things that I learned in the ignorance of my youth. But see, that's not what you're actually doing. You're just wanting to switch communities, right? You're wanting and, to, and- to become <clears throat> accepted by a new group of people. And, and some of that I think is... You know, it is, it's almost struggle to avoid struggle. Um, like, that was one of the things that we talked about, yep. even in the sermon on sexuality. Like, there is struggle, for example, like the transgender conversation. There is struggle. Like, masculinity, mm-hmm. to be a man is hard. Like, to 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 be a woman yep. is hard. Like, there are, there are realities in particular gender. Demands that, a lot. Yeah, that demands yep. a lot. And so... And so I can escape those struggles by having the struggle of transgender or it's it's struggle to to get away from struggle or I can escape these demands by taking on this struggle position. Mm-hmm. Um and and uh I think that's a fascinating thing. I mean, one of the things that one of the phenomenon that's happening in Atlanta uh and it's not just happening in Atlanta, it's happening in a lot of places mm-hmm. is kind of the um you know, the, the oppressor oppressed, you know, critical theory kind of narrative that no one wants Mm. to be in the oppressor camp. And so they're seeking escape into some sort of an oppressed group. Um, and so it's, 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 whereas you say, well, I, you know, there's one side of that to say, well, I, I am in a category of people that have actually received a lot and that have been entrusted with a lot of resources Right. And that itself is somewhat of a struggle because there's a stewardship, yeah. there's a humility that goes along with that. And so rather than accepting that, they're they're abandoning struggle for a different struggle, um, mm, which I think is just a fascinating point. phenomena uh, of where we are. Yeah. One of the things I want to talk about, and I know we're kind of running short on time, is just this <laughs> idea of work. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we were saying that the postmodern age has manifested itself a little bit more quickly in the area of maybe ethics or sexuality, um, work has kind of lagged behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably reasons for that because, A, just the practical nature of work. Uh, in a in an age of modernity, if you work hard, you will be rewarded. Everybody wants to be rewarded. So, mm-hmm. But w- what we were talking about before the call is, you know, you were saying actually we're seeing that chip away 
Uh, and you listed two phenomena, the yeah. recession of 08, mm-hmm. and uh, and now it's kind of come, pandemic. it's become more practical in the age of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Could you, I mean, yeah, I'd love for yeah. the listeners to just kind of hear some of the thoughts that you were sharing before we went on. Yeah, well, one of the, so in when, what Charles Taylor's describing of this quest for identity, if it's not inherited, if it's not inherent, then we have to, we have to infer it from our circumstances or we, we have to choose everything ourselves. And so work is one of those things that is deeply, deeply, deeply problematic here because, okay, so imagine a different generation and Jason, you'd be a good example of this. What do you do? I do what my dad did. Right. You know, I yeah. do what my mom did. I, I, I stay home and I have kids or I, or I are clean houses, or I become a teacher, or I become a nerd. There aren't that many options in previous generations. Um, and the idea would be that a, a, a sign, a marker of success would be that you're going to follow in your family's footsteps. There are obligations to that. There are responsibilities to that. And that is, in this atmosphere, considered fairly oppressive. Um, yeah. that you would have to live up. And so the alternative is, okay, instead of having a an inherited identity, I need to be a pastor or want to be a pastor because my dad was a pastor. Okay, instead you have to say, I'm going to be whatever I want to be. And I can, if I put my mind to it, I can, I can become that thing. Okay, that was a message that was especially predominant to millennials in the early 2000s. But I think that idealism was shot down largely by 2008 because the idea was, yeah, okay, I can put my mind, I can be anything I want. So I'm an art history major. I have $200,000 of college debt and I can't possibly right. pay it back. This seems to be a pretty cynical game. It, it, it was a wake up call. I mean, yeah, yeah, everybody in our generation, yeah. the message when we were in college, we were all going to change the world. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, it's like, and I don't then, know what you're going to do, but I know you're going to change the world. And then 2008 <laughs> came then we 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 were two couple years into our work, yep. and then you and I both lost all of our money, which lost was all this money. Yeah, as we've said, was a great. Uh, it was great to. It's great to lose all your money when you're 26, you know, because you don't <laughs> you don't have any money anyway. That's right. Uh, so I, I remember remember just thinking there that there were and that home values were just skyrocketing before that. Of course, that's what led to the recession. And I remember all these people that were older than me were excited about this. Oh my goodness, look how much how much richer I am. And I'm thinking, I can never, I can never catch up to this. This should sound familiar to a lot of people today. And so you've got all these choices, but choice actually brings way more responsibility to you. Because instead of it being, oh, I'm gonna become a farmer with my dad who's gonna teach me how to do this, it's now I'm going to embark on a career that my dad doesn't know anything about and my mom doesn't know anything about and they can't help me. And then I'm going to go to a college that they don't know anything about and they can't help me with any of that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to make, and I'm going to move hundreds of miles away from them and not get any help from them on anything. And so a lot of people have realized, Oh, wait a minute for that's, First of all, it's a lie that I'm going to change the world. That is very difficult to live into. Um, second, it is oppressive to have to 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 think that oh, I have to make all, I have to build my identity off choosing the exact right career 
which, oh, by the way, just kind of turns out to be a job. Yeah, yeah. It's a job, okay? So then you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got 50 more years of this? So then the other shoe that dropped, now we could talk about a different, a, a different track educationally where drugs are a huge factor into this, unemployment, 33% of men who can work are not working right now. But that tends not to be... That's a often different class and educational dynamics. But the other shoe that drops come 2020 and on with the pandemic is the idea that, okay, I can actually, I can move anywhere that I want. See, in a job, you had to move to New York. You had to move to Silicon right. Valley. See, you had now to follow morph, the job. You had to follow the job. See, now our choices have proliferated even more. It's not just what do I want to do with my job. Now it's what kind of lifestyle do I want? And where am I going to live with that? See, then the job does recede to a second position where I do think now the concept is I want to get by with doing as little as I can. I don't find my identity any longer in my work. I find my identity more likely in my leisure, more right. likely in my community, and my work gets in the way of those things. I, I've simply, I mean, let me let me just close with this of thinking about some of those dynamics with younger men who are not working. Yeah, I mean, how are people, I'm curious, like even in thinking about this, like, and I think we're still a little upstream of this, but yeah. in five years, like what question will we ask? Like, you know, like would mm -hmm. people say like, I'm a rock climber or like, you know, what will, what will they say? Or I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I write poetry, even though they're really like an accountant, you know, or something like that. Like how will people signify That's themselves? A good, That's a good question. I, I think it, well, where we are right now is people are signifying themselves by their politics. And so they're shifting geographically so that they don't have to encounter anybody who disagrees with them on their politics. Or if it's not politics, I do think it's, it's leisure. It's what do you do? Well, I'm, I'm an outdoors person or I'm a gamer yeah, yeah. or I'm whatever. I think it, it tends to be those activities so that you work so that and kind of it's, it's kind of crazily it's kind of the old country club mentality. I work so that I can leisure. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's I don't think it's so much sports teams or things like that, but it very much is things like outdoors and just look to be where, where people are moving. They're shifting politically conservatives are shifting out of more liberal states into more freedom loving states. Yeah. Um, and then, everybody and have, in George is like, we got to get to Florida. They're a red state, you know, <laughs> George is a yeah, blue no. state now. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I mean, so I think where we're probably, I, I do wonder if we're at a, a pinnacle. And I think, I think if we look back on 2020, I think 2020 will be the pinnacle of those, oppressor oppressed dynamics and those political markers, I think that can't hold forever. I think the leisure part though can work for longer in part because it's so tied to what we take for granted in this whole conversation, which is consumerism. Yeah. Um, it can still be marketed to you. And so, you know, the promise of a place where I can work less, play more and have total freedom from any constraints and obligations, i.e. move to Idaho, I think um, I think that has a little bit more time to play out. The, the interesting question there, though, is like how long can a consumerism identity 
hold up, especially in a country that can't produce anything. And uh, I mean, it's just it's kind of like well, and in a and in a global economy with just interesting global leaders. So the, what's going to what's going to happen, Jason, there's a tipping point up. there, too. Yeah, the tipping point. I think you, you raise it. It could be on the economic side of things. I think, Jason, the tipping point is going to be fertility because what this doesn't work with is parenthood. Right. So right. this can keep going for a long time as long as you have. Delayed marriage, delayed childbearing, and that's what you're seeing across the world right now, really outside of Africa, everywhere else. And so that's the tipping point where all of a sudden you just don't have people. And without people, you don't actually have money because you don't have people paying taxes. Um, and you get things like um, hyperinflation, which we're experiencing right now. So we could go on and on, but that's probably going to be, I think that's more likely to the tipping point, of, but that's a little bit down the road. You're right that we're sure. going to hit something sooner, but down the line, the biggest problem that we're going to face is, um, is fertility infertility. I mean, just lack of fertility. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we could keep going. Here's what I want to <laughs> do, Colin. I, I'm going to figure out a reason for you to come over. And I, I've just built this little office in my backyard oh, overlooking, you know, I like your backyard overlooking Benjamin Harrison's, yes. uh, you know, former, uh, defense yeah. post. So, yeah. uh, yeah. We, there's a great little porch out there. We can sit there <laughs> and talk about the battle of Peachtree Creek and, and continue we'll this conversation. But, we'll uh, anyway, Hey, so grateful for you, brother. Thank you for this. But I just um, want to, on behalf of our church members, our church members are engaging. In fact, I've told somebody on our staff, uh, I was about to talk to you and they're like, oh my gosh, Colin Hansen has helped me so much. And so you, you're, <laughs> you're helping us to, to see the Lord rightly. And I, I, I hope and pray, follow him more faithfully. So I appreciate your, your larger body of work. And thanks for joining us for the Sermon Talk Back. Thanks, Jason. Well, for Colin Hansen, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening. Once again, thank you for listening to the Sermon Talk Back podcast. If you have any other questions after listening, or if there's anything else you'd like to discuss with one of our pastors, please don't hesitate to engage our text the pastor line at 404-465-1737. And once again, if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you and have a blessed week.